You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. Had a wonderful time last week. We got to watch and worship online as we were away. Uh, Pastor Ed, I thought, did an amazing job if you were here. Amen. Um, Man. And I just want to say, I I was so proud of our church, just how you responded and encouraged him. Um, I was there in Florida, Russell, Colin, myself, our families were there uh, watching. And literally, as he was walking out before the worship, he got a phone call that his dad had passed away. And so I was on the phone with Robert. Colin was on the phone with production, and I'm literally pleading with him. I'm like, Ed, do not go preach, brother. You need to go home. Like, it's okay. We'll show a video. It's going to be fine. And through tears, he said, Pastor, allow me to do what God sent me here to do, which is preach to your people. And so he came out and preached and preached on spiritual warfare. I thought it was an unbelievably timely message, right? Like on the heels of what we just heard in the series before. And um, it was just really cool to see how God used that in our life. Uh, I I talked to him after the service. He was waiting for, uh, to leave for the airport and he was kind of laying around or kind of hanging out in my office and I called him and he was still pretty emotional if you could imagine. And I said, uh, Ed, do you realize something? And he told you this, but both his parents uh, were deaf. He grew up in a home where both parents were deaf. And um, I said, do you realize this, Ed? For the first time, your dad sitting next to your mom in heaven got to hear you preach at Long Hollow. (laughs) Tell me that ain't cool, huh? Man. But he talked about spiritual warfare, and obviously at our church, in the midst of a revival last year, if you were here, uh, spiritual warfare is real, right? One of the greatest tactics, and this was his first point, which was so eloquently said, he, his first point was that, great, that Satan's greatest tactic is to keep you thinking there is no spiritual battle. That's how he wins. If you just think like this is just happenstance or things, then he, then he wins. And uh, we learned a lot. I know I did personally from the revival last year. Uh, if you were here, we saw just an amazing move of God in 2021. In 15 weeks, we saw over 1,000 people give their life to Christ or, or, or either weren't baptized and followed through a baptism and over a thousand follow through with believers baptism in 15 weeks. Think about that. And then over the year, we saw uh, almost 1,600 people follow through with baptism, 17 different states. People flew in from all over the country to be baptized. And one of the lessons I learned early on was this, revival makes you a blessing, but it also makes you a bullseye for Satan. And another lesson I learned was this, there's a price to revival and there's a cost to maintain it. And I just wanna encourage you today, like if you're struggling with with spiritual battles or you feel like you're under attack, let me just remind you, Satan is God's delivery boy. What do I mean? He can only do what God allows him to do. And I heard one pastor say this last year. He said, if you're going through a spiritual attack, it is a sounding alarm in your life that a greater anointing or a greater blessing from God is coming. Satan's not omniscient. He can't see the future. So in a sense, he tips you off to what's coming from God. So let me just encourage you today. I mean, that's really what we're going to talk about in a sense. How do we live in a world today that is not only just difficult, but is plagued with spiritual battles? We can experience the highest highs in ministry and at the same time, the lowest lows all at the same time. And as difficult as it was for me last year and even our church, by God's grace, I didn't go to prison for what I was speaking about or preaching about, although today that's not far-fetched, right? 
I mean, we live in a day and age where you can be in prison for speaking out against certain topics. But uh, I, I thought about that. I'm like, what would I have done if I would have gone to prison? Like, what kind of letters would I have written? How would I have communicated to Candy and the boys? I think I would have written her a letter early on. Candy, I miss seeing your beautiful face. I miss your amazing gumbo. Which is true, which is true, which we hadn't had in a while. I, <laughs> this prison mattress is horrible, babe. And I really miss my bidet that I bought during COVID. <laughs> that's actually true. Now, that is what I probably would have written. Now, this is not what Paul wrote. So today, we're gonna see a very different letter from someone writing from prison. Paul is writing the book of Philippians from prison. And over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna journey as a church through the book of Philippians. We won't cover the whole book. We'll just stop whenever we stop and we'll pick it up at another time. But I think it's a perfect book for us to encourage us about how to respond when life is difficult. How do you respond through trials and temptations in life? And he's also gonna show us the need for intentional friendships along the way, friendships in life and friendships in ministry. So if you have a Bible, and I encourage you to bring it for the next few weeks, uh, or an iPad or an iPhone. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, and we're just going to pick up in verse 1, and we're going to see how do we respond through difficult times and seasons of life. Paul's going to give us some insight here. We like to say word at Long Hollow. If you're at home, you can join us by saying word when you get there. The word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not the New Orleans saints, by the way. These are, uh, and these are not Catholic saints that we, we, we see in the Catholic Church. Saints uh, is another word for a believer. Paul uses this in Corinthians and other books. Saints are the born-again believers. So in a sense, if I was writing a book or a letter to the church at Long Hollow, I could say to the saints at Long Hollow, in Jesus Christ, or in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, so the pastors and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They've had a long relationship together, as you can imagine. I am sure of this, that God, he who started a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is gonna teach us three practical truths today. I wanna give them to you. The first one is this, if you're taking note, notes, our attitude should be seasoned with gratitude. Our attitude should be seasoned with gratitude. Now, how, how do I get this? Well, I get this from the way Paul prays. Now we're gonna have a front row seat in just a moment. I'm just gonna kind of put the prayer up here. And I wanna show you in these three verses, Paul is gonna give us a picture into how he prays. And remember, he's in prison. So it's interesting that he prays this way. The first thing I want you to see, I'm gonna give you four insights. Number one is this. I want you to notice how often he prays. Write that down. How often does he pray? What does he say in verse four? Always praying for you with joy. So Paul is saying, I always pray for you. We need to be a people that always pray to God. Why? We need to pray often because the devil prays often on us, right? We need to pray continually because the devil prays continually. Number two, I want you to see this. I want you to notice who he prays for. 
Who is he praying for in this prayer? I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of who? You, with joy for all of you because of your partnership. Who's he praying for? Well, in this context, the Philippians. He's praying for the people who make up the church of Philippi. Now, what is strikingly different from Paul's prayers to our prayers, or at least my prayers, is that most of the time I'm praying for things. Paul, most of the time, is praying for people. See the difference? Why would Paul pray for people? Because he knows people are the vehicle by which the gospel advances. God can bring things and give possessions and take them away, but it's the people who are the means by which the gospel message expands. Remember, Jesus said to pray this way, Luke chapter 10, verse 12, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Are very few. There's more, there's, there's more fruit to pick than the people who tend it in the garden. Therefore, pray to the God of the harvest to send more work. Is that what he says? No, no. Pray to the God of the harvest to send a bigger harvest. God's saying the harvest is as big as you want in proportion to the workers that carry it out or go into the field. God says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into the harvest. You know what a great prayer to pray as a believer is? God, am I one of the workers? Are you calling me to this work? Number three, I want you to see the consistency of his prayers. Notice how many times Paul uses the word prayer or praying always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. <laughs> he uses it twice in one verse. And it shows us that Paul has this, this formal mental prayer list in his mind that he just goes through when he prays. And what he's saying is, every time my lips are lifted to the Lord in prayer, I pray for you guys. Let me ask you, when you pray to the Lord, are you praying and thanking God for the church here at Long Hollow? Are you praying and thanking God for the ministry at Long Hollow? Are you praying and, and asking God for the protection of the pastors and ministers at Long Hollow? I would compel you and ask you, would you do that for us? It is the prayers that protect and guide and direct us here at Long Hollow. Number four is this. Notice the emotion in his prayer. What is the word here, the key word? It's all through the book of Philippians. It's the word joy. Always praying with what? Joy rejoicing always, in a sense, in the Lord. Now, the question is, how can Paul, in prison, pray with joy for the Philippians? Because as Paul would sit in the jail cell, I believe, or in the house, uh, house arrest, Paul would think in his mind of all the things that God was doing in the lives of the men and women he invested in. And he was just overwhelmed with joy. And he wants them to know that in spite of his prison sentence, the gospel is still advancing. Like, even though he's in prison, don't get discouraged because God's still working. Now, let, let me give you the two backgrounds for how Paul spends his time in prison. Paul is going to have two different prison stays throughout his life. The second one is worse than the first one. So I'll talk about the second one first. The second one was in a Roman dungeon called a Mamertine prison or Mamertine prison is what it's called. And it's basically horrid conditions. It's a hole in the ground that they actually lower you. You can look at it in through this hole and it's like a cave in the ground and all the trash and, and, and sewage and rain and debris would go in there. It was very difficult to live, very low lighting, no food. This is where Paul stays the second time awaiting his death and ultimately uh, his departure. Now, Paul's going to write three letters from that Mamertine prison. 
or Mamertine prison, actually. He's going to write three of them. Do you know what they are? Three letters from prison. First Timothy, second Timothy, and Titus, okay? But he's actually going to write four letters from his first imprisonment, which is this one. This is a very different prison. This is actually a house arrest, This is a place where Paul, being a Roman citizen, is able to rent a house, but in that rented home, he has a soldier chained to his wrist 24-7. It's during this stay, which he'll stay in this prison or this house arrest for two years, it's during this time he writes four letters. Do you know what they are? You didn't know you were going to get quizzed today right after fall break. Who knew, right? All right, fall break. The first one is Philippians, obviously this one. Ephesians. Colossians, and the last one's hard to get. Anybody want to take a guess? Philemon, that's what it is, Philemon. Yeah, you get an ice cream sandwich, whoever that one guy is right there, all right? Philemon, now here's what's fascinating. Paul actually writes seven of the 12 letters, 13 if you think he wrote Hebrews, I don't think he did, but if you do, but let's just say 12. Seven of the 12 letters Paul writes from prison. And what's striking to me is this, Paul is going to write all of those letters without ever complaining about his condition. Think about that. Paul never complains. In fact, he never gets mad at God. You never hear him saying, oh, you Philippians think you got it bad. Imagine being in jail. He didn't say that. Oh, you you Ephesians always complaining. You don't have anything. Well, I got nothing. I'm in prison. He never says any of that. In fact, to the contrary, he actually is encouraging in the letters. This is his most encouraging, joy-filled letter of all of them. And basically what Paul's doing is, he's trying to, in a sense, pump the believers up from being discouraged. Now, they had a lot of things they could have been discouraged by. You gotta think, their leader, second to Jesus, is in jail. Uh, He's being persecuted. All of the apostles with him are being attacked and criticized and thrown in prison. It would have been very easy for the church at Philippi, the believers, to have given up or thrown in the tower, called it quits. Like, we're not going to do this anymore. And honestly, (laughs) if we're honest, many of us have experienced some of those challenges over the past two and a half years, right? I mean, I know I have. For me, the last two and a half years have been pretty tough. I mean, we've, been, we've had some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows. I mean, we've had emotional challenges here. I know I have spiritually draining seasons, physically draining seasons of our life. It's very easy to be discouraged. It's very easy to lose hope. It's very easy to question God. Like, God, where are you in this? When Paul goes to jail, the Philippians probably thought the whole movement is going to fizzle out. It's over. But Paul wants to remind him of something he's going to remind us of. That the movement of, Je- don't miss this. The movement of Jesus Christ is not built on the back of a man or a nonprofit or a church or a ministry. It's God's ministry. And that even though Paul is incarcerated in jail, the gospel is not restrained. That the gospel is not going to be based on one man or, or anyone or anything. In fact, what he's saying is the gospel will continue on. Now, I know many of you, like me, have been discouraged. Why? Because some of our heroes in the faith over the past year, five years, have fallen. Right? And I thought about naming them for you, but I don't have to. Because you know them. Right? I mean, these are men, like, like for you, for me, some of them are like, like heroes of the faith. They're role models to me. 
And some of them have fallen to financial challenges or immoral issues or relational issues or personal challenges. Some have been disqualified from ministry. Some have even taken their own life. It's easy to be discouraged. I know, I know it's times I was. And, you know, when I would sit with the Lord, like you, I would bring tough questions to God. And I'd say, like, what, what, why in the world would this happen? This guy, like, he's had a long season of faithful fidelity and, and this, and this is how he ended. And, and the Lord always reminds me when I have kind of that spiritual pity party. You ever do that before with the Lord? And the Lord kind of reminds me, listen, stop looking at men and start looking at me. This is what I want to encourage you. Stop looking at people. People will let you down, but Christ will not let you down. And God has to remind me all the time. Like, we're on the winning team here, right? Like the battle has already been won. The game's already been played. We all have the rings to prove it. Like we already won the game. And God would say, you just have to go out and play it. Let me say it again. You gotta hear me. You need to keep fighting in the battle. This is not a time, church, to shrink back or give up or be silent or hold your tongue. This is a time for us to stand up and speak the truth in love for the glory of God. That's the world we live in today. That's what God is asking, and, and, and that's what Paul's saying. Listen, don't cower back, Philippians. You need to step forward, which is the second truth, kind of dovetails from the first is, our confidence, watch this, is in God working in us and through us. That's point number two. Our confidence is God working in us and working through us. Look at verse six. I am sure of this, that he, God, who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We just spent a week in Florida, which every night they ask me, what do you want for dinner? Dad, it's always the same. Seafood, seafood, always, I don't know why they ask me, but every year, for their whole lives, it's always been the same, right? And my favorite, which I didn't get to eat this time, my favorite seafood of all seafood is boiled crabs. Anybody like boiled crabs? Didn't get to eat those. But have you ever seen anyone boil, and I'm not talking about, no, no offense, the Maryland, Old Bay, outside seasoning crabs, I'm talking about real Zatarans boil with like two things of salt and lemon. Anybody with me? And like pepper, I mean like a sausage and, and corn and celery. Try that next time. That'll change your life. But I didn't get it. I mean, you can tell. I'm not bitter about it, but I didn't get it. But anyway, anyway, well, if you ever seen crabs, there's like a big hamper of live crabs and they put them into their awaiting death. And what, what happens is you, you, you go, if you go in without getting pinched, you can grab the back of a crab and you can pull it out. But I dare you to try this. Every time you pull one crab out, they're connected to about two or three other crabs. You ever do that? And they're all connected by the claws. That is a wonderful picture of how we should interpret a biblical text. Okay, I want you to get that in your mind. Because every time you take one text, it's always interconnected to two or three other texts. You cannot take a text out of its context because it will mean something that the text never meant. This text I'm gonna show you is a perfect example of how people have taken this text out of context to apply it individually and not corporately. Now, what do you mean? For example, you have heard this text probably preached this way. Since God began the work of salvation in you, 
He will bring it to completion in you when Christ returns. Now, not to ruin anybody's day, that is true. I mean, that's what God does. He brings salvation to work and he finishes what he starts in us. But the question is, is that what Paul's saying? Is that what Paul is trying to get across? And if we take this passage just personally, individually, in a Western Americanized, me-centered gospel way, we miss the theological principle of the passage. What Paul is trying to show us is this. Paul is saying, now let me give you the backstory. In the book of Philippians, Paul is talking about the importance of partnership. He's He's talking about the importance of the church being the church. He's gonna talk about in Philippians chapter one, verse 28, how there are attacks from the outside on the church. He's gonna talk about in Philippians chapter four, verse two, the conflict on the inside from the church and how we need to bind together as a church. And we need to remember that even though it looks bad, even though there's division, even though there's fighting, even though there's attacks from the outside, God will finish what he starts at the church of Philippi. That was good news for them. Here's another way to think of it. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the work of God and the advancement of the kingdom will not come about by human effort or man-made initiatives, but through God. God is the author of the novel, therefore he gets to write the ending. And by the way, we, we know how it ends. We win in the end, amen? amen. We win in the end. And long haul, let me just remind you for those who've been here a long time. God started to work here at 3031 Long Hollow Pike with a pastor by the name of Brother Harrison. And when Brother Harrison moved on, God brought another pastor in by the name of Brother Claybrook. And God continued the work through him. And then God for 17 and a half, 18 years, through the faithfulness of Brother David Landreth, God continued the work. And then he brought a knucklehead from South Louisiana right, a a former drug addict, an alcoholic, he brought him here and he continues the work, not just because of us, in spite of us. And here's the deal, he will continue the work when I'm gone and a next pastor comes in and he will continue to work when the next pastor comes in to Christ's returns. Now when I share this with my staff, my assistant Robert said, are you trying to share something with, I said, listen, I'm not leaving, okay? So don't get nervous. By God's grace, I can retire here for the glory of God. But here's the thing I wanna show you. This is not my church, right? This is Jesus's church that he has called me as an under shepherd to follow his lead. Friends, remember, this is God's church. This is God's word. This is God's people. This is God's building. This is God's spirit and it's God's work. And because of that, it's God's responsibility to do what God wants to do here at Long Hollow. And because of that, there is no room for boasting. How are you gonna boast about something that isn't yours, right? I always thought it fascinating years ago when I'd boast about my sermons. Boy, y'all really like that sermon. And I would think years later, I'm taking credit for a message from a book I didn't write. Anyway, I mean, (laughs) the reality is, this is why, coming close, this is why your partnership with us is essential. None of us, write this line down, none of us is greater than all of us working together. Write this down. None of us, A family can use this, a relationship can use this, a business can use this. None of us is greater than all of us working together. What does that mean? There are no couch potato Christians at Long Hollow or at anywhere for that matter. There are no sideline believers. There are no secret service followers of Christ. There are no online only 
Christian worshipers at Long Hollow. See, the impact of our church is not gonna be realized just in the programs that we offer on campus or the Bible studies that we offer in this building, but by the activity of the believers of our church in the community. That's how you gauge effectiveness. Not just how many people show up, it's how many people are sent out for the glory of God. And here's the reality. Every person in here has a purpose in the kingdom of God. And here's the question you need to find. This is what your life is about. Every person has a purpose in the kingdom. What's yours? What's yours? When we did Q&A with our students during our series, uh, Did God Really Say? I was really encouraged because... Some of the questions that were coming in were questions like this. How do I share Christ with my gay friend or, or transgender classmate? I really want to do that. And they would say, or, or better yet, how do I invite them to, to church? How do I invite them to come to church? And I, I love the heart. And, and our response to them was this. Unfortunately, many gay and transgender men and women in the community have been hurt by the church and alienated by the church. And honestly, they probably don't wanna ever come to a church, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be the church in our school. And the challenge we would say is maybe, maybe you're the church, you're, you're the answer to sit down over lunch and just share with them what God is doing in your life, right? What if God's plan to reach your neighborhood, your workplace, your family, was not to invite them to a building to hear a service, but for you to be the church where you live, work, and play. It's a novel idea. What if the kingdom will come to where you live only if you bring it? That's a radically different way to think of church, right, or ministry in general. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we don't want to give you opportunities to serve here at Long Hollow, but what I'm saying is this, the totality of your Christian life should not be resigned to two hours on Sunday. L listen, I want you, listen. You cannot stay spiritually fit by only working out on Sundays. Y'all with me? Everybody okay? I mean, that's the reality, right? I mean, the strategy to reach the community is the same strategy of Paul. And here's Paul's strategy for Philippi. It was Paul's strategy for Greece. He wanted to create born-again believers who were living out their God-given calling as they follow Jesus and make disciples every single day. Does that sound familiar? That's our mission statement, right? We want to help you. What, what, what's different about Long Hollow? Y'all going to Long Hollow now. What's different? Here's what I think is different. That's a church that wants to help us take our story, our passions, our abilities, and help us make a difference in the community. I don't know about you, that's a church I wanna be a part of, amen? I mean, that's like a church I wanna be a part of. And some of you, I wanna plead with you, have been active in years past, and you're all in. And something happened, I don't know if it was life, or children, or, or, or busyness of schedule or, or season of life. I don't know what it was, but for some reason, you have now been on the sidelines. And I'm gonna ask you right now, listen, consider this. It's time to get back in the game. It's time. And for those who are new, there's a lot of new people here at Long Hollow. You've come in the last two, three, four years. My question to you is, what are you waiting for to get plugged in? We need you now, amen? Like now. 
When's the best time to plant a tree? 30 years ago, okay? I mean, it's true. When's the second best time to plant a tree? Today, now. Number three, final insight from Paul. Our desire should be, here's how he sums this little section, or shows us, our desire should be to foster intentional friendships. It's the intentional friendships which actually propel Paul forward to make it through this prison house arrest. Indeed, Paul says, verse seven, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you all are partners, that's the word there, partners, with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I deeply miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. As a prisoner, I mentioned earlier, Paul is gonna await his trial in Rome for two years. And one of the cool things we'll see in a couple weeks is that because the guards were chained to his wrist 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Paul's gonna say, I want you to know, brothers, that my imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel because the whole imperial guard and the rest know that my imprisonment is for Christ. You gotta think, those soldiers dreaded coming to work every day, having to sit through an eight-hour evangelistic message from Paul. I mean, it's like, golly, not again, you know? Paul's like, they can't go anywhere, right? And so we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But, but you gotta understand, up to this point, most people had turned their back on Paul. And if we were there, we may have as well. Why? Because they were questioning his apostleship. Like, is this guy really for the Lord? He, if he was for the Lord, he wouldn't be in prison. Why is he being attacked so much? Why is he being criticized so much? Why does he lose everything? Why can't he get anything done for God? And so a lot of people turn their back. And Paul says, listen, I am so thankful for you Philippians because you didn't turn your back on me when I needed you the most. And here's what he says. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That is a godly love. He emphasizes it by saying, God is my witness. I'm telling you the truth. This is the truth. I love you guys. And behind that word partner is an interesting word. It's the word koinonia. You've probably heard this word, koinonia, partner, koinonia. It's another word for fellowship. For those who know what fellowship is, it's the only ship that never sinks. The fellowship, right? I mean, and it shows us that fellowship is a group of men and women who come together around mutual interest. So we gather for some mutual interest. Well, the miracle of the church of Jesus Christ is this. I mean, look around at this place. I want you to just feel the weight of this. Just look around for a moment. The miracle of our church is that every week people gather who otherwise may not gather for any reason. Why? Because we have different backgrounds. We have different socioeconomic classes. We have different races and creeds and cultures and upbringings and gifts and talents and school rivalries. And normally we wouldn't come together. I mean, that's what to an unbelieving world makes no sense. The church makes no sense. Like how can rich and poor, how can black and white, how can Republican or Democrat, how can LSU and Tennessee, I mean, how can, how can LSU and Tennessee fans even get along in the same room? Somebody thought it was funny. One of you, no, one of you. Thought it was funny to give me this as a gift today. <laughs> and preface it by saying, now this, isn't, <laughs> this has nothing to do with the game yesterday. <laughs> 
I've been here seven years. I've never, this is my first one, you know? Just happened to come on the first win. And it's amazing yesterday how many people actually texted me after the game who were closet Tennessee. I mean, who knew? Seven years I've been here. Didn't even know you were a fan. I mean, I guess if you don't win in 16 years. But anyway, I'm just playing. Hey, right, listen, for the record, for the record, this is going to my office, true story, and Candy will tell you, behind LSU, which is horrible this year, we pull for the Tennessee. Go Big Orange. Amen? Go Big Orange, right? Yeah. So don't you email me next time y'all beat us. But anyway, that's the beauty of the gospel, right? The beauty of the gospel is that something bigger binds us together. And it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers to everyone. Here's what the gospel means. Those who are on the outside are now welcomed in. Those who are far from God are now brought near. Those who have been looked over are no longer overlooked anymore. And that's why Long Hollow is a church that welcomes everyone because Christ has welcomed us. That's what we should be. Now, what Paul's getting at here is he's trying to teach us what an intentional friend looks like. Intentional friend is something you'll hear over and over, and you probably already heard some of it, but this is, what, this is the kind of disciple we want to create here at Long Hollow. We want you to be an intentional friend to other people. An intentional friend is someone who's always there for you. An intentional friend, when things get tough, they don't run from the danger, they run into the danger. An intentional friend knows that when you're down, they need to lift you back up. We all need an intentional friend, amen? I was thinking, what, what describes this best? And what came to mind was the movie, The Lord of the Rings. If you've, anybody seen that movie, The Lord of the Rings? It's a great movie. It's uh, in the first movie, if you remember, the, the storyline is uh, there's this man, Frodo, who is going to assemble a group of volunteers, nine to be exact, exact, nine different people who are going to come together to destroy the ring of power. And, and these nine different people are a different diverse cast of characters, right? There's a, there's a wizard, there's an elf, there's a dwarf, there are two humans, there's Frodo, the main character, and then his three small hobbit friends, right? And you remember they have the big hairy feet. And so he has this cast of characters here and they all come together. And near the end of the movie, if you remember, Frodo has finally made it to Mount Doom. And he is physically and emotionally and spiritually spent. He, he can't go on. And up to that point in the movie, they have gone through every difficult possible situation imaginable, even almost dying multiple times. So he gets to the edge of the mountain. Everyone else is gone. It's just Frodo and his best friend and his companion, Sam. And no one can take the ring, they both know, to the top of the mountain. That's something only Frodo can do. And Frodo's the only one who can destroy it. They both know that. But Frodo can't go on and he's emotionally spent and he can't do it and the future of the whole world hangs in the balance. And this line from Sam, I think sums it up perfectly. If you remember, looks up over to Frodo, he's done. He's emotionally spent, exhausted. And he says, listen, I can't, here's what he says. He says, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And if you remember, he puts him on his shoulders and he starts carrying him up the mountain. Friends, you may not need a friend to help you save the world, but you may need one to help you save yours one day. 
We call those 2 a.m. friends. That's what we call them. A friend that at 2 a.m. in the morning, when life falls apart, you can pick up the phone and you know that when your son or daughter comes home and you find out they're addicted to drugs or they just wrecked the car, they're in jail for a DW, you know that I can call this person, they're gonna wake up and they're gonna be there for me. You know that when you lose your job unexpectedly, that's the person you're gonna call. When you have the news from a doctor that you have a terminal illness and you only have so much longer, you're gonna call this person. When you get bullied at school or picked on online, this is the person you're gonna call. Everybody in here, look at me, every one of us needs a 2 a.m. friend. But let me ask you this, who are you ready to carry when they need you? Who feels like they can call you their 2 a.m. friend? Who feels like they can count on you? Listen, this is what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be, right? Like we're supposed to be a group of people who are there to shoulder the burdens of others because Christ has shouldered our burden for us. And so I just wanna give us an opportunity now because I know a lot of emotions may have come up through this sermon. You, you're probably saying, well, pastor, I just have very difficult times of my life right now. I'm in a difficult season. Things are really hard right now. I'm struggling and I, I know that God finishes what he started, but I don't see it right now. I'm, I'm gonna ask you to come and lay it down at the feet of a friend who never leaves you, a friend who's always there for you. When Jesus spent three years with his disciples at the end of that time, he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. There's no closer friend than Jesus. And so I'm gonna ask you to come present your burdens and lay your overwhelming feelings and your struggles and the fact that you say, God, I believe your work, but I don't see your work and I'm walking by faith and I trust you. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. I'm gonna pray and after I pray, I'm just gonna ask you if you feel compelled when we stand just to come and spend time with God and just trust and put your confidence in Him so let's pray right now. Father, I pray right now for, for us as a body of believers, God, we know that you finished what you started. We know, Jesus, you never leave us or forsake us, although at times it feels like we're alone. The facts of your word conquer the fear of our lives. And our faith is not based on fear or fickle feelings, God. Our faith is based on on the facts of the word of God. And you say, I am with you always to the end of the age. Even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. I am your rod and your staff. I will comfort you. I will prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God, we claim that today. And so for the parent who's praying for a son or a daughter, for the marriage that's hanging on by a thread, for the couple that hasn't talked intimately in months or years, for the job that's uncertain, for the financial situation that's unstable. God, we, we have so many challenges, but we have, an, we have a God who meets us right where we are. And as Paul showed us, we can pray always, we can pray with confidence, and we can pray with joy because we know we win in the end. Thank you, Jesus. We pray it in the only name we know how. And that's the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Hey, let's stand uh, to our feet. As you're standing, again, if you just feel led to come, maybe you're at home, you want to make your couch an altar, you just want to kneel before the Lord and just present and just confess these things to God. God, I need you to work in this life. I need you to work in my son's life, my daughter's life, my mom's life, my job, my marriage. I don't know what you need right now, but as we sing, you just come and spend time with the Lord.